welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you optimize your health, fitness, and mindset on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. My name is Maxim Sigoy. I am a former triathlete, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and basketball player, and I've been vegan for over nine years. I'm also the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, which has helped over 500 vegans from 20 different countries to completely transform their bodies and their health. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chrissy Benson, an, attor an attorney who's been running from the law her entire professional life. Christine is a short story uh, author, legal writer, new satire writer, and host of the Vegan Posse podcast. <laughs> Chrissy, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Maxim? Good, good. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the show and for having me on your show a few weeks back. You are amazing. It was so much fun to talk to you. So I'm really glad we get to talk again. Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to dive into your story. You got to ask me a bunch of questions. Now it's my <laughs> I turn. I did. Yes. Um, <laughs> so how did you get, how did you become vegan? How did your uh, story originally start? So fun. Everyone's a little bit different as to why they went vegan. Sure. Yeah. It's always funny when I'm asked that question, because like a lot of people, I don't have a specific day, a specific moment. Um, but I became vegetarian at a certain point. I had a few various stints of vegetarianism. I think it was just, you know, this conception. Okay, sure. If it were a choice between starving to death and eating an animal, I would probably eat the animal. But since I'm not called to make that choice in, in the modern day world, how can I justify it? So I was vegetarian for quite a while. And then a little more information started creeping in about the egg industry, later about the dairy industry. And I really had no desire to go vegan. I was a very non-vegan vegetarian. I ate lots of, I thought I ate healthy animal products, non-fat dairy, egg whites. Yeah. Um <laughs> And so I, I had no interest in going vegan. I thought vegans were a little out there. I thought the concept of animal rights was a little much. Animal mm. welfare, maybe. Sure, I care. But, you know, are they really as valuable, as worthy as we humans are? I was skeptical. And then, like I said, a little more information started creeping in just about the industry. And I became less and less comfortable consuming those products. So I was living in New York City at the time. And I remember just reaching a breaking point with with all of that just cognitive dissonance, I guess, about mm -hmm. eating eating these so called foods that just were the products of such suffering. And finally, I reached a point where I thought to myself, well, I know myself, I know how I'm wired. Some people may be able to live with themselves, you know, acting in a way that's just not in accordance with with their ethics and what they think is right, but I'm just I'm just not built that way. It's going to drive me crazy. So I, yeah. I literally remember thinking, I'm going to have to do it eventually, meaning go vegan. So I may as well just do it now. <laughs> so I went vegan very reluctantly. I still had a refrigerator full of non-fat Greek yogurt <laughs> was was my big thing. And I just started, I, I told myself, okay, I'll use up what I have already. I just won't buy any more, mm -hmm. which, and that was different for me. Usually I'm so all or nothing that I would just, you know, go right in, but I allowed myself to use up those remaining products. And 
went vegan and it was tough. It was tough for the first couple of weeks. I'm a coffee drinker and I remember going to a work conference and there was no non-dairy milk for the coffee. And I'm thinking, oh no, this is just too hard. And literally three weeks in, I also remember emailing my brother who is now a vegan and had had been you know, doing bouts of veganism here and there. I remember writing to him saying, you know, I gave it a shot. I I fought the good fight, but it's just too much. You know, it's it's just too much. Like, I don't think I can keep this up. And then it was shortly after that day in that email, things just kind of exploded in in a good way. There was a movie that premiered in New York City where I was living called Vegucated. And I went yep. to see that movie, which features, you know, three ordinary people who agree to go vegan for six weeks. And then there was also an online conference happening called Vegan Palooza, which was like a week long online summit. And I happened to be working, you know, a dumb office job where I sat at a computer all day. But the on the plus side was that I could listen to things on my headphones all day. So I listened to that conference day in and day out and also to YouTube videos and videos from the Vegetarian Society of Hawaii. And I just became immersed and I learned so much. And it just caused me to think about so many things that hadn't occurred to me before. And I learned about nutrition and I always had an interest in nutrition, but I didn't know that that completely overlapped with my ethical concerns and my concerns about animals. And so after that period of time where I just, you know, really, really delved in, like I, I like to say, I became radicalized via the internet, you know, because yeah. following that that brief period from I don't think I can do this to, oh my gosh, how could I have waited this long? And, you know, time is of the essence and I need to help. This is wrong what I've been participating in and it's wrong what's happening. And, you know, let's let's do this. Yeah. I love so I love that part first. So it's basically the creamer almost broke you. <laughs> the fact that there was, it did. there was no creamer. It did. Yeah. But isn't that interesting when when we're trying something and psychologically we're looking for a way out, we're gonna use small things to justify as to ah, I, I gave it a there's no creamer. I can't do this, right? <laughs> Versus just drinking a black coffee or just not having a coffee and you know. Um, so it's very interesting how we're looking for a way out to say that we gave it a shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I wasn't really thinking of it like that, but yeah, I think there's some truth, truth to that. Like I tried, I tried, you know, I did a lot more than a lot of people do. Yeah. There's, um, I'll share a quick story. There's, I was taking some of Tony Robbins kind of certification in his work and he was talking to a lady and she's like, well, I tried in my relationship. I, 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 I tried, I tried, I tried. He's like, okay. He's like, get up. And he's like, try to pick up the chair that you're sitting on. And then she picks it up and he goes like, no, I didn't tell you to pick it up. I told you to try to pick it up. And then she put it back down and she left it on the ground. He's like, now you're just not picking it up. You're not trying to pick it up. Right? <laughs> I want you to try. And he did this for a little bit. And she was like, it's like, I, I don't understand. He's like, exactly. You either do it or you don't. There's no trying. Right. Oh, it's- I totally. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, that rem- reminds me of a story I was in for a brief period of time in another lifetime. I was in Air Force ROTC in college. Um, I had a scholarship and they sent us to boot camp. And there are different athletic things that you need to do that you're tested on. And one of them is a one and a half mile run. Mm. And 
I I usually did very well on that run and was trying to beat a certain time. I forget what it was. And one of the the colonel at the camp before the next time that we were going to you know do this exercise, he said, are you going to break that time? And I said, I'm going to try. And he said, how do you spell try? I don't know. He said, W-I-L-L. <laughs> as in will and and that really stuck with me because kind of like you were getting at i i've come to come to like just translate when i hear the word try from other people as it means they're not going to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know when someone says i'm going to try it means i can't count on them there it's not happening and so yeah. i i do my best to never say the word try, to never use it because unless, you know, unless there are times when, you know, I really did give something a shot and just wasn't physically capable or, or something along those lines. But I'm very, very leery of using that word for all of those reasons because it's it's just a half-assed word that doesn't really give us any useful information and is a cop-out as I see it. Yeah, exactly. If it's coming after you actually gave it your all and it didn't work out, it's different. But a lot of people use right. it before, right? It's like, oh, right. I'm going to try. Right. It's not like I gave 110% and it didn't work. Now you can say you actually gave it a shot versus yes. before. Yes. And also like another book that I think I mentioned to you during our previous conversation was a book called Mindset, which yeah. talks about you know the concept of failure. And I, what I see that I've done in a lot of my life is tried, not succeeded, and then use my attempt as justification for never, you know, attempting that thing again in a in perhaps a more strategic, effective way. You know, I think, mm-hmm. oh, because I tried and it didn't work, that means I never have to, you know, go for that goal again. Instead of just saying, okay, that method I used that means of trying to achieve that wasn't effective. So what is an effective way of going about it? So it's, yeah, yeah, it's interesting when we start to catch on to our own own mental games and rationalizations. Yeah. There's this thing I like to say to tell my members is you you can't fail if you don't quit. Right. Because it's just a learning opportunity. If you continue progressing, it's, it's this learning opportunity. If you quit, then it's a failure. But it's not a failure if you don't stop, ultimately. Yeah. And in fact, you don't even need to read that mindset book because you're kind of echoing exactly what's in it. The book starts out with a story about a psychological experiment that they were doing with children where they wanted to assess how different children dealt with with failure. And so they gave them puzzles that were incre- of increasing difficulty levels. And, you know, the kids initially would be able to do all the puzzles. And then, then as they got more and more difficult, um, they weren't able to get them right away. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're, the purpose of this experiment was to see, oh, how do kids deal with this failure? But they realized that, okay, a certain sector, you know, proportion of the kids, the harder and more difficult and more challenging the puzzles got, the more they were enjoying the process and the more they said, you know, oh, I love a challenge and this is so fun and I can't wait to get it. So even though the experiment had been designed to see how people deal with failure, these kids didn't think they were failing. <laughs> they were still they were still in process. Yeah. And but they they, they haven't been conditioned yet by the world right. of you need to have these expectations of how things are going to happen and if they don't happen then you get upset and you see it as a failure because when you're a kid you're pure 
right? It's just, I'm just doing this because they told me to do it. And you just do it until you do it ultimately. Right. Right. Just like eating animals, of course, and animal products. Yeah, exactly. It's a conditioning, right? If, if let's just say the whole world was vegan and then one day someone introduced eating meat, it'd be like, you're, you're really weird to propose for us to eat an animal, but because culturally we didn't grow up with that then the opposite is happening now, right? So you're, you're wanting to not eat me? Like, why do you want to do that? But it's a big conditioning piece because once oh, you're yeah. in the vegan space, that becomes a norm. And then it's weird to see people eating animal products. Yeah, yeah. No, I always say that if you saw a single person doing in his basement to farmed animals, what's happening, you know, on an institutional level with the farmed animals, you'd call him a psychopath. You'd say that guy is sick, like there's something wrong with him. But no, if you just like expand it and institutionalize it and do it by the billions of animals, then, oh, it's just business. You know, it's amazing how we're able to disconnect like that. Yeah, it's a great point. And whatever, same, same action in a different context. One Mm -hmm. is meant for profit. One is in for personal reasons in the guy, some guy's basement, <laughs> and it's weird. <laughs> and so, you know, transitioning to vegan, you mentioned when, how long ago have you been vegan, by the way? It was, let me think, 2011 that I went vegan. So coming up on 12 years, it was, it was around Halloween, around October oh. of 2011. Okay. And so you went vegan again, I'm, I'm only nine years in, so you're a few years before me. So you went vegan before was cool before it was a thing before there was, I remember the vegetated days, like there was less resources than there are now. There were less options than there were now. How did you kind of like navigate that to be able to make that transition? Yeah, I can't really claim to be one of the early vegans. You know, there were it, there were a lot of resources. Like I said, there was that there was the internet, there was that online summit, and I was in New York City, which was a fabulous place to go vegan. Um, like I said, you know, a number of movies premiered there, vegan movies. I remember going with the I belonged to a vegetarian and vegan animal. Uh, not an animal race group, but vegetarian vegan meetup group in New York City. And they went to see, I went with them to see the movie Forks Over Knives. And I yeah. remember at the time thinking, like, I didn't know anything about the movie and I was geared up, I was all fired up for, you know, this animal rights movie. And I was kind of disappointed that it turned out to be all about nutrition, but it mm-hmm. was revelatory. It was so interesting to me because, like I mentioned earlier, I just hadn't hadn't learned that you know what what's the optimal diet from a place of ethics and compassion also happens to be the optimal diet for our human physiology you know that that blew my mind and especially the information about cancer because i Mm -hmm. had some sense of cholesterol and heart disease being related to what we eat but i didn't know cancer was so closely related and that really all chronic western diseases are so closely related So that blew my mind. And as far as, yeah, just generally, I mean, I I can't claim much, much hardship. I I was, I was post, you know, turning point, especially with the internet and especially being in New York city, there were lots of vegan restaurants. Um, I won't say it was cool. I still don't think it's quite cool. (laughs) You know, we're, we're still a very, very small sector. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's cool. I know it's cool. And I know it's, you know, I know it's just the best way to live. I feel very 
at the end of the day, I just feel very lucky to have stumbled onto this path. You know, I'm just so grateful that I had it in me to ask some questions and to, you know, seek out the answers and follow, follow the information and just my own heart and my own conscience and, you know, stumble onto the, the best way that there is to live. In my opinion, I feel, feel very lucky. And New York, New York city was a great place to go through that process. Yeah. That's beautiful. Cause I was saying I went vegan three years after you ultimately, and I didn't have as many resources because I wasn't, I was like, I was a country kid living in the middle of the woods with dial up internet. Like there was, I couldn't find a lot of things on, on veganism, um, but it was kind of a blessing at the same time because there wasn't all the vegan junk food that there is today. So you, right. you know, back then we had to eat whole food plant-based. Like that was pretty much all that was available in the grocery store. Yeah. And I'm so much more impressed with people like you who just kind of come to it, you know, on their own. Like they don't even really have any outside influences. You just... I mean, you, you shared your vegan story, but I, but I love that you are a farm kid and, you know, just still came to this path. Did you ever see the movie Peaceable Kingdom? Uh, no, I haven't. I've never heard of it, actually. Really? Okay. That, that's a wonderful movie, which I really, really recommend, especially, especially to you since you grew up on a farm. So it's a documentary and it's, it's, just an interesting twist on most um, animal focused documentaries because it focuses on the perspective of these humans who are farmers, who are farming animals. Um, and so there are three or four of them featured. One's, one's a cattle farmer and one is a woman who wanted to raise goats for milk and yeah, a couple of other people. And then in the movie, they all experience this change of heart and just coming to feel like, I don't, I don't like doing this. I don't feel good about doing this and just completely transforming their lives. And it's just a really, really sweet, just inspiring movie. It's one of my favorite of the films. Oh, beautiful. He said peaceful kingdom. Is that what he said? Peaceable. Yeah. Oh, peaceable. An unusual word. Yeah. P-E-A-C-E-A-B-L-E. Yeah. Peaceable Kingdom, The Journey Home, I think is the subtitle. Yeah, it's oh, wonderful. If you're familiar with um, Howard Lyman, is that is that his name? The he, wrote, he was a former cattle rancher who wrote a book called The Mad Cowboy. He's okay. kind of famous because he was on Oprah's program at one okay. point and talking to her. And then she made the comment, I'll never eat a burger again. And then they all got sued for slander. The um, <laughs> animal, oh, wow. animal agriculture, some you know, some conglomerate within that sector sued them for slandering their product, and they won. They won the lawsuit. But um, oh, yeah, wow. so he's he's one of the people in that in that film. And then there's another. Um, the names so are funny, escaping, you know? yeah. You'll never get that from someone saying fruits are bad or vegetables are bad, right? Like the industry of fruits right. and vegetables is not going to go sue anyone for it. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. They're so defensive and their defensiveness is very telling. Yeah. Exactly. You know, if you have nothing to be afraid of, you wouldn't be defensive ultimately. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, I love to dive back into your story because I got this one line from your website that I read earlier. An attorney who's been running from the law her entire professional <laughs> life. What do you mean by that? Well, 
I, yeah, I have some ambivalence about including that line because I don't like to think of life in terms of regrets and unfortunate decisions, but I never wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a writer my whole life. And I just had in my head when I was in high school and college that, oh, no one really makes it as a writer. And so let's let's just go for the the safe choice to become a lawyer. People told me, you like to argue, you should be a lawyer. I thought, okay. And everybody else I knew who didn't know what to do with their lives was going to law school. And so I went, went to law school. And that was before I was still kind of a lost soul at that point in, in college, really beginning in high school and then college and law school. I, I just didn't have a clear sense of who I really was and what my priorities were. And I was also struggling with um, an eating disorder. I was, you know, binge eating and that was causing some really problematic medical difficulties. So, so I was, I was kind of a mess um, during law school. And so, you know, made, made it through and, you know, proceeded, graduated and, you know, went on to become licensed as a lawyer and to work in that field. But I do, yeah, I do have some you know, again, I don't like to use the word regret, but at this point it still is until I completely, you know, until I completely transform and, you know, transcend um, that decision. Yeah. It's, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't, if I had it to do over again, I, I would have made a different choice. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so ultimately writing is the thing that you always wanted to do. Um, yeah. 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 I thought of a... I've, I thought of a question earlier because we talked about failure as a learning opportunity. So I'm sure mm -hmm. there's a lot, again, just like any industry that you're trying to make it in, there's a lot of that as you get yeah. those failures or kind of that feedback on how to become yeah. a better writer and improve. <laughs> how did you deal with all that? Um, with, with which part precisely? Well, just starting right when you're like, okay, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, but like, I want to become a full-time writer. I want to jump into oh. this space. Yeah. Well, um, I, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. It was, it was gradual. And honestly, I didn't write for a long time, like during college and law school, I was still writing papers, of course. And then as a practicing lawyer, you have to write a lot of briefs and motions and all of that. So I, I was certainly writing in that sense. And, you know, I was told that I was a good writer and, had had some identification there as a writer, but I wasn't writing fiction. I wasn't writing, I wasn't using my creativity to write fiction. And that's really what I've always been called to write. Because to me, that's that's really the essence of of my myself. You know, you can I almost feel like writing, writing about the law is interesting. And it can be intellectually satisfying, but for me, it was, it felt kind of like a cop-out because I wasn't doing my real, my real thing. And actually it was on a retreat shortly after I graduated from law school um, that I went on, you know, it was in a, I was in, at that point I had joined a 12 step program to help with my food issues. And it was a retreat related to that program. 
And it was on that retreat that I started writing um, fiction again. And so I really think it was about just that process of self-discovery and getting on that path to just re, you know, finding myself. I hadn't ever really lost myself. There was still that essence, that that spark, you know, somewhere in there. But like, you know, she was deeply, deeply buried. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was that was when it started coming back. Um, but kind of like you seem to understand it, it was intimidating because, you know, as a writer, it's like, where do you start? You know, you have to start just with putting pen to paper or, you know, fingers to a keyboard, but then what do you, what do you do with it? You know? So I started writing here and there. I wrote a couple of short stories just for fun. Um, at a certain point, I decided I had written a short story that I really, that I really liked that people who read it seemed to really like. And I decided, okay, at this point, it's time for me to become a published writer. So, um, again, talking about failure and, you know, being, giving up, um, I did that a lot because I sent it out to a few places. It wasn't accepted. And I thought, oh, Again, I tried. What are you going to do? I tried, you know. And yeah. then maybe a year later I said, "No, that's that's not good enough. I'm going to it's a numbers game, you know. Yeah. Most pieces are rejected." And it occurred to me I was out running one morning. I've been a daily runner runner for a long time, so I remember I was out running one morning and it occurred to me to change the title of the story. And I don't know why it was just a splash of intuition. I said, I think I'm going to change the title. And then I just decided this is this is the year. It was close to the end of that year. And I said, by the end of this year, I'm going to become a published writer. And it's again, it's a numbers game. And I just kept a spreadsheet and just submitted it, you know, to a bunch of different literary journals and magazines. And then it was, it was accepted by um coincidentally two different literary journals in maine the state of maine and um so i feel like maine maine gets me maine gets yeah. my my sense of humor and my just my style um and so that was when i became a published writer and then from there i started doing just writing that interested me and i love i love satire and i love humor i love especially you know just dry sardonic sarcastic humor because i'm the kind of person who's like i'm sort of always serious and never totally serious um and so i loved when i discovered the onion and you know places like the babylon b and that that style of writing like the <laughs> well fake news has a bad connotation now but but you yeah. know sort of the, the mock news story the spoof news and so i just really started writing a lot of that and i loved that because that was just a way to channel all my you know all my negativity and all my complaints and gripes about life into into humor and i also found that that's that's a really effective way of getting people to think about things that they wouldn't be willing to think about you know namely um animal issues and and food so i wrote most of my stories were just about life in general but a good number of them were about vegetarianism and veganism and i remember i wrote one that was that was very popular um 
And that was when the paleo diet had just come out and was really, really big. And so the headline of this story was paleo is out new socio diet sweeps nation. And the story goes on to talk about how the socio diet or, you know, which is short for the sociopath diet is, you know, the most popular diet. And then I give some tips for, you know, becoming more socio in your diet and things like, you know, um, like support factory farming and demand faster food and, um, you know, don't, uh, forego meatless Monday and instead embrace foie gras Friday. And, you know, and that was a story that, um, did really well again, because, you know, it made people laugh and it made, you know, it, it kind of gets people where they're a little more open because if people are laughing, then they're open. Um, so yeah, I love the satire. I still do some of that. Um, but then meanwhile, I had started a novel, which is my novel marrying myself. In fact, yeah, this is right it right here. Fast forward, um, oh, started awesome. writing that. And as far as um, when I did it, I was doing legal work. And so a lot of these jobs were contract based. And so they would last for a few months or a few years. And then there would be a gap, sometimes a substantial gap between projects. So during those gaps, I would basically become a full-time writer and just work work on the novel. And yeah, there's there's a much longer story to the the journey of of my novel marrying myself, but um, it, it took a while. <laughs> it, it took longer than I expected, and it took a lot of just letting go of my ego and just you know staying focused on on the goal and keeping my eye on the prize. Um, but it, I, you know, ultimately found a literary agent and signed a publishing deal and it came out last year. Beautiful. Well, congratulations on a new book. It must be cool Thank to be you. able to hold something that you wrote. And, it is cool. Yeah. Right. And I think there's like, um, there's such a, a self-discovery process that happens when you take on something that's truly meaningful to you. Because, you know, you can work on contracts or tasks that you just don't really care about. It's just your job and you kind of do it. But when your heart and soul is poured into it and you want it to be perfect and you deal with like, um, what's the what's the term for it? Imposter syndrome. You think you're not good enough for writing it. Kind of like all these things show up for everyone when they oh, take that on something. Oh, never happened to me, Maxim. Never, never. <laughs> your your body said a different thing. You know, it was, your head was naughty. <laughs> um, so I, I want to make a, a really long connection here. But when we started talking about writing, you just like lit up, right? Yeah, I can tell that you're passionate about it. And then when you told me that you start to, to write when you were through that 12-step process through the eating disorder, I was like, I'm sure before it so says, like, I'm sure it's a step to kind of her to reconnect with herself. And then that's what it was. And then you just kind of lit up when you talked about it. I want to talk about if you're comfortable with it um, only, but the eating disorder part, right? So we work with a lot of people that have an eating disorder. I've had my fair share of issues with binge eating. I had some weird stories for you. Um, a lot of the time we, even for people that don't have an eating disorder, some people have like a body image disorder. They think that by looking a certain way, achieving a certain physique or hitting a certain goal, that it will solve the problems that they have, right? It could be a lack of confidence, a lack of self-esteem, wanting to appear a certain way upon among their peer, but there's this internal belief that if I change the way that I look, either through becoming skinnier or bigger, more muscular, whatever it may be, 
that it will solve these things. And I've told you this on our podcast, I've done every single transformation you can think of and didn't solve any of it. And all the people mm -hmm. that I coach, it solved none of it. And so I like that you, you share that because regardless of trying to look a certain way, it's not the thing that made you better. It was reconnecting with who and who you are at your core that led you to kind of going on down this amazing path ultimately. Yes. Yes, for sure. You kind of summarized a lot of my story in that and what you just said. Um, the only thing I'll add is that it's true that looking a certain way and getting healthy and fit doesn't solve people's all people's problems and certainly didn't solve all my problems, but it is essential just to my general serenity and life satisfaction because I'm not religious, but I just always have had this innate just sense that I should, you know, my body's a gift and I should treat it well. And so mm -hmm. when I was abusing it with food, I just felt so much guilt. And yes, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with how my body looked when I was gaining weight. And then um, something, something that I don't, don't generally share, but you know, since, since everything's on the table, one of the crazy side effects of my binge eating and my binges were massive. They were massive. Um, but I started having epileptic seizures and I mm. realized over time that I hadn't grown up having, having seizures. I'd never had any issues along those lines. And I eventually realized that if I wasn't engaging in these crazy food behaviors, I didn't have seizures. So that was, that was its own, its own, you know, several like decades, decade long um, journey for me, um, seeing yeah. neurologists who just wanted to prescribe me medication, more and more medication, who, when I finally did disclose to them what I was doing with food, didn't believe me or assured me that that had nothing to do with why I was having the seizures. And so it was a process of just, again, keeping, keeping my eye on the prize, trusting my own judgment with regard to food and my own health and my own body. And just coming to a point where I said to myself, you know, I need to get over this food issue and then I'll stop having the seizures. And then maybe the neurologist will believe me or maybe they won't. Who cares? I just want to stop having these seizures and I want to be medication free and seizure free. And that's my goal. And so that's what I set my sights on. And that's what I accomplished. And I'm very glad that I did, because if I had settled for what the doctors were offering me, it wouldn't have been a fraction of that. You know, it would have been more and more medication, more and more side effects, probably still more seizures. And, yeah. you know, I would likely still have my food issues. So in some ways, you know, the seizures were, it was, it was a really, you know, it was a pain in the neck to deal with, um, to say the least. Okay. So it was very inconvenient, but in some ways I'm grateful that I had that very unusual side effect of my binge eating because that was the only thing that made me willing to seek help in a 12 step program. Because prior to that, I thought that going to a 12 step program around food was the most pathetic, ridiculous 
thing that there could possibly be. I mean, it just seemed like such a stupid issue. I mean, food, you know, food <laughs> like yeah. it. So, and I remember, in fact, on my way to my first meeting in that program, thinking to myself, all right, I have to go because I could learn to live with being fat. You know, it would suck, but I could learn to live with it, but I just am not willing to live with these seizures. So it was literally the only piece that gave me that willingness. And I'm, I'm grateful, grateful for that. I forget yeah. how, <laughs> what your initial question no. even was, but well, that yeah. was perfect. Right. Cause as humans, we don't change until there's enough pain. And sometimes being overweight is not enough pain. And so yeah. it was a blessing in disguise that that's the thing that caused enough pain to you that you're like, I can't deal with this. I need to do something about it. Right, right. Right. And for me, I think the thing that I was had started out to say was that even though I didn't like how my body looked, I didn't hate my body. I hated myself. I felt bad for what I was doing to my body. It wasn't my body's fault. <laughs> it was yeah. my fault. Um, so yeah, I really blamed myself. That's that that's really powerful. Um, I want to applaud you for overcoming it. And I would like to ask you, I don't want tips or tricks because I don't think those are really the thing that help people the most. What was the fundamental shift that had to change inside of you for you to come out on the other side? It was it was a long it was a long process. I mean, for me, the 12 step program helped a great deal because it was my first exposure to group support. And so when I got to that, um, you know, when I started going to meetings in this 12 step program and you share about your problems, it was revolutionary for me because the, for me, the idea of intentionally putting out there the things that you haven't yet figured out that was the polar opposite of how I did business, you know, and I, what I learned growing up is, you know, you figure things out and then later on you tell people, oh, I had this issue and this is how I solved it. <laughs> so the idea yeah. of, you know, being in these rooms and telling people, you know, what was happening and the things that I hadn't been able to solve on my own and more than anything else, just gaining the language for talking about my feelings far and away was the most valuable skill that I gained in that program was just, just finding the language, finding the words, you know, I'm a writer, but I didn't have words for talking about myself and my feelings and the things that were going on with me. So that was from the emotional piece. And then as far as the, you know, practical nutrition piece, you know, I learned some just basic, basic methodologies that were very useful. You know, number one, just don't keep don't keep junk foods in the house. You know, like yeah. that was where I had the only place that I had a chance of exercising any willpower was at the grocery store. You know, if it was in my house, I was going to eat it. I, I learned that lesson too many times, you know? And so that yeah. was a big skill. I also just learned to eat lots of vegetables. I had learned that, you know, years prior in Weight Watchers, um, when, you know, vegetables are free on that program, you can have as many as you want. So that, that was actually very helpful to me because I got in the habit of just eating tons of vegetables. Um, and then as far as just 
getting away from the binge eating, it, it took, it took a long time. It took a long time. And I would say that it was really a gradual process. I, I remember you describing one of the people that works for your company, how she was a binge eater and how yeah. she initially started just, okay, let's just do it every other day instead of every day. And then every week and then every month, and then, you know, not at all. Mm-hmm. And being in a 12 step program, which is an addiction model, it was, it was pretty all or nothing. You were either abstinent or you were not. And so there wasn't much acknowledging of, of progress, you know, binging mm-hmm. once a month instead of once a week still meant you weren't abstinent. And so in some ways that was, that was not, not as helpful a model, but you know, but still the support of that program and just the general intention and the kindness of the people, you know, the individuals in the program helped a lot. But then I will say that it was when I learned about nutrition after going vegan. And when I, when I discovered the whole food plant-based diet, and then when I discovered what's known as the pleasure trap and just the idea that we evolved physiologically to be attracted to these calorie dense foods, that yeah. just explained so much that, you know, all my years in the 12 step program hadn't explained. So again, it was, it was a process, but I would say in a nutshell, it was education, you know, apart from the emotional aspect, it was just sheer education that ultimately just shifted the way I looked, looked at these items. You know, I just started these days. I just don't look at those processed junk foods, those animal-based foods they they don't look like food to me, you know, they're, they're more like drugs, um, the way they interact with our physiology and the dopamine, um, signals that they trigger. So yeah, education, um, wasn't overnight by any stretch, but that's what ultimately did the trick. Yeah. And and it's beautiful that like kind of what you shared when you kind of dealt with it, when you were young with your family, you dealt with it. And then you came out with, I was struggling this versus, talking about and getting help. I think, um, first of all, I appreciate you for sharing your story because I know that there's a lot of people that are in that boat and potentially just people that are in the same boat, right? Of like, I'm going to deal with it on my own. And then once I figured it out, then I'll tell people like, yeah, I was struggling with this, but I took care of it. But in reality, some things that we want to take on are a little bit too much for us to take on personally, right? Either because again, we don't have the right knowledge, expertise or wisdoms or years of experience in that field. And it's handy to have guidance or a community to support you through it. And I think people underestimate that all the time. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm mm-hmm. going to do it all on my own. And they undermine the impact that having just an extra person, like what an extra person can guide you through versus you taking it on the first time and just making a whole bunch of mistakes, right? I'm sure all the, some of the rules that you shared with me, I'm sure it would have taken you a lot longer to figure that out versus they came in and like, these are the rules. And you're like, oh, well, this makes sense. Let me implement them versus taking a few years to learn them. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chrissy, I, I really appreciate your vulnerability in, in sharing your story. Um, I want to kind of just finish off on your book um, just for the people listening that might be interested. So what is the story be, behind the book? Well, first of all, it, I neglected to mention that it does have a vegan protagonist. So that was a big, a big driver, um, 
in writing it. I was not vegan when I started writing the book, which kind of gives you a sense of how long it took me to get the book out (laughs) into the world, but it's got a vegan protagonist. It's about a woman who's engaged to be married to the love of her life, her true soulmate. He also happens to be incredibly wealthy, but that's not why she's marrying him. And then I won't give it all away, but in a nutshell, things don't go quite according to plan. Um, so it's it's a fun read. It's not dark or heavy, but kind of with a deeper, almost spiritual message about figuring out who we are and what matters when the whole image we had of what our life was going to look like is suddenly just out the window. Mm, so that that little shift in identity that we go through yeah, these changes. Yeah. And I think it's something, you know, the it's women's fiction. So women are, you know, certainly the most likely audience. But I think that whole theme is something that most everyone can relate to because whose life really ends up the way they envisioned, you know, everyone's life is a little bit different in some ways, you know, for better or for worse. But I know we ultimately have to reconcile, okay, this isn't quite what I had in mind. Um, and I really... I'm very character driven. I love my characters so dearly. They just become my friends. And so throughout that, you mentioned vulnerability. Well, you know, as a writer, you feel so vulnerable putting this, you know, this idea baby of yours out into the world. But for me, I felt such a strong commitment to my characters to get them out into the world and to get them heard that that was really what gave me the fortitude and determination just to keep, keep trying, you know, keep submitting and just like let those rejections slide off my back and do another round of, of revisions if an agent asked me to. Um, so I really just felt a deep devotion to my characters and I, I learned from them, you know, they're real people to me. So yeah, the, the book definitely means a lot to me. And in fact, the book, as the title implies, it's again, it's a fun read, but it's also just the whole concept of, of self-love and self, um, esteem and self you know, self-help and self-compassion and self-discovery. So it's it's fiction, but it has that self-help, self-discovery component. And in fact, my next project that I've undertaken is doing a companion guide to that book, which focuses explicitly on self-love. So it's going to be work workbook form and, you know, just to help people accelerate the process that I myself went through and just coming to find myself coming to love myself and what what that looks like to really honor and commit to yourself. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I for the people listening, I'm going to link the book down below link your website, the link to your vegan posse podcast as well, which my episode is on there. So go and listen to that. So all I'll link your so all your social media, all that fun stuff down. So you guys go and check it out and support her. Grace, I want to say a massive thank you for taking the time to jump on the podcast. Thank you again for just your authenticity and sharing your story. I know that for a fact that there's people that listen to the podcast that have kind of uh, eating disorder and kind of dealing with that. So I know it's going to be really powerful for them to just see that it's possible to be on the flip side. And so I appreciate you. And um, thank you for everyone very much for listening. Thank you, Maxim. Merci. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support 
please share it with others that would benefit from it. Share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Maxim underscore official and on YouTube at FitVegan. The links will also be in the show notes. I'll see you in the next episode.